Well, this morning we want to do something really exciting. We want to talk to you about what it means uh, to be an elder here at Northwest Community Church. You're pretty excited about that, right? <clears throat> Here's why you ought to be excited about that. We've been talking about this, Jerry, Matt, and I, for several months. And um, here's why you ought to be excited about that. Because I firmly believe, and I know many of you believe this to be true, that things really rise and fall on leadership. I, I firmly believe that. Some of you have been in other churches here locally or other places uh, in our country. Many of you could stand right now and you could give testimony to that, that things have a tendency to go as a leader uh, goes. It's very, very important to us here at Northwest uh, that you understand what we believe that the Bible teaches us about leadership, how those leaders behave, what should be your expectation uh, of those leaders, and uh, how we should uh, lead you as uh, part of uh, the church. And so uh, we're going to ask you over the next couple weeks, by the way, to make some recommendations of men in our church right here at Northwest that you believe meet the qualifications and the characteristics that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. So it's very important for you uh, to uh, listen because as you make those recommendations, uh, we'll be interviewing uh, those men uh, that feel God may be calling them into that uh, position of leadership uh, here at Northwest. And um, as those leaders go, uh, so will go our ministry as they listen uh, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, in their lives. So this is a very, very important topic that Matt and I are going to uh, discuss today. You know what's interesting uh, to me, and it has been for a long time, uh, is this whole idea of the Bible referring to people like me and you as sheep. Um, it, it's somewhat uh, ironic, I think, how God describes us in the Bible and then he calls us sheep. <laughs> I was telling Matt yesterday of all the animals he could have chosen. Like, I, I would have loved to have been one of the kings of the jungle, right? I mean, I'd like to be a lion. Now, yeah. some people would say, hey, you got your wish. You kind of are a lion. Uh, I hope you don't feel that way. But that's the king of the jungle, right? I mean, he, he walks around. He owns the place. Um, or how about a golden retriever? Anybody have a golden retriever? I mean... Aren't golden retrievers just like the best? I mean, they're just awesome. He could have said, you know, my golden retrievers hear my voice. They know me. They follow me, right? But instead, he referred to us as sheep. Here's some interesting things I want you to know about sheep. A sheep is the only animal that can be totally lost when it's a couple miles from home. We bought a new house uh, several months ago, and we're on ten and a half acres, and that's another story for another time, but... Uh, there's a cat, uh, the lady that owned our house moved about three miles away, and the cat keeps coming back where he thinks it's home. I'm helping him understand, this is not home. <laughs> I don't want you here. Go back there. The cat, though, instinctively finds his way back home. Sheep can't do that. do that. They get totally lost. They have no sense of direction. When they go astray, they have absolutely no ability to be able to care for themselves. They become helpless and unable to find water and food. They have to have clean, pure water that's not too hot or not too cold. Most animals can smell water. However, sheep have no ability to be able to smell water. They can't find it. Somebody's got to lead them to it. Did you know also that sheep are basically filthy animals? Again, you're looking at God going, God, why? You know, why, why call me a sheep? They're, they're basically filthy animals. In fact, they're rarely white. 
they're usually stained with something, and that's because there's this greasy substance on them. It's called uh, lanolin, and it causes everything that they get next to to stick to them. Do you know also that sheep can recognize individual and individual human and other animal faces, and they can remember them for years? Isn't that interesting? They're also very defenseless. Did you know that if you encounter a sheep, you have nothing to worry about whatsoever? <laughs> Not that you're necessarily going to do that, but they, they don't scratch, they don't kick, they don't bite, they don't do anything at all. They are defenseless. In fact, I read that if a, if a sheep that's got a, uh, a full um, uh, coat. coat, yes, thank you. <laughs> it's always good to have somebody else up here, that way when you forget a word, he's, he's right there. You know, that if they tip over, that the sheep can't actually get up on his own. He has to have some, a, a shepherd, some person come and help him up, or he literally will lay there on his back and will die. So all the way throughout Scripture, here's the encouraging thing, that's what we're called. <laughs> and I say we because it's important to understand that your leaders, your elders here at Northwest, we are also sheep. We're not some kind of super... Uh, sheep, we're sheep just like you, and God refers to us that way. In fact, in John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And he loved us so much that he made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have our sin debt paid. And because God loves his sheep, he gives to his church shepherds. He gives to his church elders. And it's necessary for the church's nourishment, for maturity, and for uh, protection. Just really quickly, Ephesians 4, uh, 11, Paul wrote, um, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. I want you to remember this, that an elder is just simply a servant leader that is given by God to shepherd his flock, the church. And shepherding is a difficult and challenging uh, effort in the best of circumstances. In fact, when we read in, in Peter's uh, first letter, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, before he gets to chapter 5 and he talks about the responsibility and the characteristics of elders, he talks about all the suffering that's going to happen in the lives of those that follow Jesus. And I couldn't help but think this week that he was so aptly describing the world that you and I are living in today. And I believe it, that in difficult times, it becomes even more important for shepherds to take care of sheep and to do it really well. In fact, in days like uh, we're living in, it's easy to be led away by the latest idea, the latest uh, uh, communicator that's out there that wrote this book that will change and transform your life. The only problem is that if you get into it, uh, you find out that it's pure heresy. It's not based on biblical truth. In a day when it's difficult to stand up for what's right, in a culture who, which finds God's standard out of date, it becomes even more important that there are shepherds who are lovingly guiding, giving guidance uh, to sheep. And so Peter says, because of all these trials and because it's going to be really, really difficult, um, there's, there's, there's shepherds that are going to serve you. They're going to take care of you. In fact, he wrote in chapter 5, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He said this to us, those that would shepherd the flock. He said, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Let me make just a couple of observations before Matt uh, jumps in. Uh, we're supposed to shepherd the flock of God that is amongst us. That means that we're literally to tend to, to lead you in a loving uh, manner. Uh, how do we do this? We teach you truth. We care for you when you're hurt. I hope that if you've been around Northwest for any length of time that you feel that. That when you're hurting, when things are difficult in your life, when you need somebody, when you need answers during life's difficult moments, I hope that you feel like we shepherd your soul well, your family well during those times. Uh, we also lovingly come after you if you wander away from the flock. We exercise oversight not under compulsion, Peter says. That means we do it willingly, not grudgingly. You ever been in a church where you thought there was a pastor, there was an elder that felt like it was just simply some obligation that he had and he really didn't enjoy people? You ever been in one of those settings? If you have, you know what that's like to have a shepherd that way. And Peter's saying, no, we do so willingly, not grudgingly. Uh, this, is, this is something uh, that we do. And someone once said, if you can do anything else, you probably should do it. That's why James says not many of you should suppose to be teachers because that's a great responsibility. And we do it not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We do it enthusiastically, not selfishly. I recognized very early in my ministry life, right out of school, that um, I was never going to get wealthy uh, being in the ministry. And you know, that's been okay with me. I had the opportunity just last night to be involved in a wedding, and I hope someday I can tell you the circumstances of this wedding. And I, I came away last night, and my tank was like filled up to past my eyeballs. And driving home, I'm just thinking, I get to do this. I mean, I get to spend my life doing this, and I got paid for it yesterday. I got a paycheck. I mean, this is like the greatest gig going. I mean, this is awesome to be involved in people's lives. That's what we do. We do it enthusiastically. We do it not domineering, Peter says. We do it by example, not dictatorially. We don't expect to be followed just because of a title. You know, the greatest trait of leadership is example. It's example. We want to live out biblical principles. We want to show you how those biblical principles work in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, uh, in our neighborhoods, what it means for you guys, what it means to be a man. Uh, and sometimes we fail. And I wrote down here on my notes, um, we show you how to sin and then how to make it right. And I'll be the chief amongst you in that. There are times when we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do things wrong, and hopefully then we're going to show you biblically how to make that right, how to confess that, and move again in the right direction. And then lastly, we do it for the approval of one. Just one. Uh, this is not a democracy. A lot of times we come into a church and we think it's just like America, right? I mean, we vote for our leaders and then they listen to us and they do whatever we tell them to do. It's not really working so well for us in our country either. 
that's not how leadership is to be established in a church. We choose our leaders. Our leaders meet biblical qualifications. And then we follow our leadership. And we do so for the approval of one. I, I would say we, we definitely want to be liked by people, don't we, Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we definitely want to be liked by people. But that is not the most important thing, that we be liked. Because Scripture says that one day the chief shepherd's going to appear and we're going to receive the unfading crown of glory if we're faithful to the task that God's given us. And that means that we listen to the one who calls us. And we try to faithfully shepherd the flock of God in that time. And so, Matt, why don't you talk about, uh, for just a few moments, uh, what are the qualifications for those who would serve the church in this role? Yeah, sure. I, wanna, I, wanna help, I want you to help me with just a minute. Would you get on a plane with someone who did not have a pilot's license? No, you wouldn't do that. Would you have surgery by your biology teacher to remove your gallbladder? But you know, Of course not, right? And would you vote for a man or a woman? Okay, forget. Don't answer that question. <laughs> don't answer that question. See, what we're trying to talk to you about this morning is that there are qualifications that we, that elders have in terms of leading uh, here at Northwest. Qualifications are important. You certainly wouldn't get on the plane that didn't have a pilot's license. You wouldn't have your biology teacher to um, perform surgery on you. You would want them to have qualifications, and that's extremely important. So we at Northwest are elder-led and congregationally accountable. I say it again, elder-led and congregationally accountable. Before I start, I want to make a couple of distinctions really quick between really two offices, the office of elder and the office of deacon. See, the, the office of elder here at the church, elders basically lead and facilitate. Their main responsibility is to pray and, and lead us in instruction and teaching. Deacons, on the other hand, a little bit different. They're to facilitate the ministry of the church, really spearheading the care side of our church. There's two distinct distinct differences between the two elders is held by the position of a man it's held by men it's men only and you'll see that in the text when we read that in just a minute also from other examples in the church deacons here at northwest we have ladies and men that serve as deacons and i oversee them as part of our elder team and really what we do is we help the ministry of the church the care side of things and facilitate the ministry so that the elders can dedicate themselves to really to prayer and the instruction and the governance of the church. And that's sort of how it is led. I want to direct you to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And really what I want to do is I want to go right through these qualifications. And as you are flipping there, I want to make sure you understand that, yes, we're talking about the qualifications of an elder for someone serving at Northwest. But if you are a single girl here in the church, I would encourage you to take a look at this, this text, these verses, as you prayerfully, prayerfully consider the man that God's going to bring you in your life. If you are a married couple in the church, whether elders on the table or not, I would encourage you to take a look at these qualifications that we're going to look at and ask God, God, I want my life to be a demonstration of these characteristics. And if you're a woman right now who's married to a man, then you want to pray that your guy will demonstrate these qualifications as he is in charge of leading the family spiritually. So as you take a look at the text, yes, we're talking about elders, but it's really for all of us. And this is a great, great list here that we can evaluate our lives based on the leading of the Holy Spirit and the gospel through 
uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. So let's go ahead and take a look at the first one. First, first of all, we say, well, I'm going to read it first. This, this is First uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or, may, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So the first thing that we see, which is really sort of the overarching principle, is the first part that Paul says, is I want you to be above reproach. Really, what Paul is saying is, I want this man, I want him to be someone that is free from any type of serious character blights. That he has a fountain of knowledge, that, he over, that he, he's living in such a godly way, that people respect him. There is no charge that is against him. And really, that one is the big umbrella, and then everything else falls under that. He continues to say, the husband of one wife. Many times in the churches that I've grown up in, I have been told that this means no divorce. But actually, what this text is talking about, it's talking about someone who is completely committed to their spouse. It's a one-woman man. It's not flirty. It's very committed to his wife. And that when it's talked about, his marriage is something to emulate. Um, uh, he goes on to say in verse 2, sober-minded and temperate. Uh, sober-minded really means self-control. And really there is a lot of times in our lives where we are dominated by emotions, overcome with emotions. This man is what's encouraged is that he's not allowing his emotions to overcome so that in the midst of the decisions, in the midst of leading, he's able to be able to be self-controlled and make those decisions that benefit the church and the direction of the church. He, he goes on to say self-controlled. Now, if you know the, uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, this is a fruit of the Spirit. What Paul is, is really encouraging this person is that this person, this man, is led by the Spirit. Because self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And he's basically helping us to understand that his self is controlled. Why? Because he's under submission to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that's really what we would all want. He, he continues to go down and he's respectable. Uh, this means that he has a well-ordered life and his life is not organized by chaos. Where the chaos and the busyness of life dictates how his life is run. So in the midst of all of the busyness of life, this, this man is looked at as someone who has a great um, idea, great handle on the balance between ministry and life and all the things that we are faced with. He goes on after respectable and, and is hospitable. And, and a lot of times what we think when we say the word hospitable is we say, oh, you just have people over to your house. And I know that for me, that's what I used to think what hospitable meant. You just are an entertainer, you have people over. But what this is in regards to is that Paul is referencing hospitable means that you have a great and strong relationship with people that don't know Jesus. Because you want people leading the church, making decisions to have in the church based off of a gospel-centered life. And that there is a great interaction for someone who has um, a, a relationship or a lot of relationships with people who are unchurched. 
And that's really what hospital means. And, and then next is it's able to teach. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person is going to be up here on the stage. Like Brian and Jerry are up here a lot. They're elders at our church and they're up here a lot. It doesn't mean that they have their number one gift set is an ability to be able to teach. What it does mean is that they are able to articulate the gospel and the doctrines of the faith clearly so that we can apply them in our lives. Whether it be in front of one, whether it be in front of five, whether it be in front of a hundred. But the ability to teach, it's not everybody's number one skill set. But it is an ability to be able to take the doctrines that are so foundational to our faith and sort of break them down so that we're able to understand them and even help people apply them and live them out. He, he, goes, he goes on to say, not of drunkards. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean that you can go out to a party and have the funnel and the keg, the keg stand, okay? This means, really, that the drunkard means that he has not given himself over to things that would control him. Now, Paul uses the issue of alcohol here, but we can certainly apply it to anything. But whether or not you're an elder or not, this is a standard by which God has given us that we would, number one, be controlled by the spirit of the living God. And let's just say this, if we feel the alcohol, we've, done, we've gone way too far. Because we want to be led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. And when he says not a drunkard, yes, it's talking about alcohol, it's making reference to alcohol, but it certainly can be used in other areas as well. He, he keeps on going in verse 3, he says not violent. And I, you know, someone who is in the parking lot of the church, ready to brawl, has brass knuckles, probably not a good idea probably doesn't qualify and someone who is not violent or doesn't have a reputation like that he goes on to say someone who is gentle now gentleness is it it, it doesn't mean that you um are are not are, are are passive about things it means that you are kind means that you are um able to yield when yielding is necessary sometimes you're able to be able to listen and maybe even change directions in what you were thinking because of being led by the plurality of elders or others on the team. Um, not quarrelsome. Sometimes in this area, we can focus on what is wrong, not what is right. Or we have a tendency to end up in an argument. If you have the reputation that everything ends up in an argument, that's really what Paul is saying. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, the qualification is not that someone would end up in some type of an argument where every conversation ends up in an argument. He, he goes on to say, a lover of money. Now listen, we all need money to do the things that we're able to do. We all have to have money and able to be able to lead the lives that God has entrusted to us. The, the issue here is not money, it's the love of money. It's the worship of money. A, a couple of years ago, I was, um, I was a pastor at a church and we had a youth pastor. And um, I, I know that he would not feel bad for me saying this. He came to me, called me up on the phone and said, I need you to come to my house right now. I've got something really important to tell you, to you, and I need you to come. So just like we do, drop everything, tell Dane I got to go, go over to his house, sit down at his house. He said, I was at work today, and I was in the car of my boss. And he said, he got up to leave, and there was some money in the console. It was $20. And he said, honestly, I couldn't figure out how in the world we were going to pay this bill that we had to pay. So I took his money. He found out that I took his money, and he fired me. 
But I sat down and I listened to him. I even went to this text right here. And I said, you have to understand that your worship is to a jealous God. And if you hide your sin, he's going to out you. But if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I am grateful to say that he's a youth pastor and serving Jesus with great, great passion in Alabama. So what I'm saying here is the issue that Paul is saying is not someone who is a lover of money. It's, not, it's the worship of money that he says right there. And then he goes on to say, I'm managing his own household. And there's a lot of explanation there that we won't re- go back to. And, and this is not to say that the pastor's house or the elder's house, the leader, his house is perfect. It is to say that his house and the way he leads his family is reputable. It is, it's an honor. It is worth imitating. He, he, you look at the pastor's house and you go and say, well, they have an understanding of what the gospel means and how the gospel can change. And you might be looking at their house and going, I would like to do this because you see them doing it. How they, how they function as husband and wife and how they relate together with their kids and how they live and teach the gospel. I was thinking to Brian that I might be disqualified because a couple of years ago, we had a baptismal service. And my two children, after the baptismal service, decided to do cannonballs with their clothes on in the baptismal pool. That's what I loved. It made it real for all pastors' kids. That was great. As people were walking up to them, they looked at them and said, Mom said I could. Mom said I could. <laughs> I don't think it disqualified me. But, anyway. <laughs> but uh, another one is not a recent convert. It doesn't do any justice for us to allow someone who comes to faith in Christ and say, okay, now we want you to lead a bigger body of, of people. That, that's not wise. It puffs the person up, as the text says. We want the person to be mature, to understand, to be discipled about the great truths of the gospel. And eventually, maybe one day, that might be a place where you desire to be and will most likely, can can be. But but it's not beneficial to us as a church. It's not beneficial to that person. And then lastly, it's here. It says, well thought of by outsiders. So I would say this. What is your reputation at work? When your name is mentioned... What do people say about you? What's the first thing that comes off of their tongue? Whether we have elder on the table or not elder on the table, whether you're a man, a woman, whatever the case is, here is the the idea. The idea that it's saying for the elders to serve, the qualification of the elders, is that they would be well thought of by outsiders, that they would understand, they would understand that they have reputation with the insiders, meaning people inside the church, and reputation with those outside the church. And it wouldn't contradict each other. And so um, qualified elders exhibit integrity in our workplace and even outside the workplace. And so you have to ask yourself the question, well, then who is qualified? I quote Paul. He says this, who is sufficient for these things? It is Christ who is sufficient, who made himself known and indwells (coughs) us all with the Holy Spirit. And God would not call us and equip us if he will not train us and lead us up. Our church is better to be led by a plurality of elders that have qualifications to lead us because we have an incredible task to do. Yeah, do you ever uh, hear those list of qualifications and think, um, uh. <laughs> not interested? Uh, I hope that there are some of you men that are sitting there right now, and I hope some of you women are as well, 
and you're thinking about people that are in this body that might uh, meet those qualifications, those uh, guidelines. Let me uh, just briefly, as we, uh, as we close, let me talk to you just a little bit about our structure. I know a number of you are, are new here at Northwest, and I think a good question, even if you don't have it right now, I'm going I'm to answer it because I think it's a good question for you to have, and that is to understand how our leadership structure uh, works. Uh, when we started Northwest in the fall of 2007, uh, we established Northwest with a ministry leadership model uh, which wasn't focused on one man. Uh, that was incredibly difficult to do early on. It's a lot easier uh, to do now. Um, so I was never hired. <laughs> I don't know if I could have made it through the interview process <laughs> now that I think about it. That way, if you can't get a job, you just start your own church, and that way you don't have to go through an interview process. I guess that's the way that it works. Um, but Matt and Jerry have both come on our team uh, since we've started Northwest, and They've come on as my equals. Uh, it's very, very important to me to consistently and constantly remind our body of that, that we are, are purposely set up not to be focused on a man, but a plurality uh, in leadership. And so Matt and Jerry and I, we function as equals. We have very different responsibilities, very different gift sets, but we function as equals. Matt has distinct responsibilities, things that he takes leadership over. Jerry does the same thing I do. Uh, we spend a lot of time uh, together every week uh, because we operate uh, that way. And we are part of our what we refer to as our ministry leadership team. It's important for you to know also that we're always going to have one more lay elder than we are uh, staff elders. So there's the three of us and there's four other men that serve on our team uh, right now. And they, they make up our ministry uh, leadership team. And we simply shepherd the flock of God, as I told you early on. We provide leadership. We provide guidance. If I could show you our agenda over the last several months, I think some of your jaw would drop at the things that these men have been involved in. Obviously, we're in the process of uh, selling a portion of the land that we purchased for residential development so that we can... Uh, hopefully uh, soon break ground on our church building. They've been very involved in those discussions. Uh, we've had uh, several issues uh, that we've had to deal with with regards to marriages and other situations uh, within our body over the last uh, several months. We've established a very high priority over the last year, starting in August. We mentioned this to you, and again in January, that we really wanted to prioritize prayer in our ministry. And our elders have provided great leadership in that area over the last uh, several months. So we lead, we guide, we feed. Uh, we do that by teaching. And uh, one of the major responsibilities that our guys have in our leadership structure is to protect the purity of our church, to protect the reputation of Jesus in this community as it relates to Northwest uh, Community Church. We have a responsibility to protect and guard our doctrine, Paul told Timothy, closely uh, so that we don't stray to the right or to the left, but we stay true to the word of God. That's why the men that serve on our leadership team, they can't be novices in the faith. They have to understand the word of God. They have to have an understanding of how to apply biblical truth to everyday life. And then our, our ministry leadership team, our elders provide vision. We implement uh, the vision of the ministry at Northwest so that we can impact this community and our world, and we also plan for the future uh, of our ministry 
out here at Northwest. And, and these guys also are involved in just a lot of administrative tasks as well. We delegate a lot of that to our deacon uh, leadership uh, people. Uh, they're involved in many different areas, uh, but the elders have oversight over them. Some of you are wondering how our salaries established, for example. Um, we've got a subset of our elder team, uh, lay elders, and they're involved uh, setting all of our salaries and administrating uh, that. The teaching pastors, the three of us, will always be on the ministry leadership team. As I said, we'll always have one more lay elder than we have pa paid staff elders. And those guys then have specific areas of responsibility uh, that they deal with uh, based on uh, their bent, uh, based on their natural skill set uh, sometimes, and then just their ministry gifts and strengths that God has given them. So here's what we want you to do uh, over the next uh, two weeks. Uh, we want you to prayerfully consider uh, men in our fellowship that you think uh, their lives demonstrate uh, the qualifications that Matt just talked about um, that we went over in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The idea is not that you look at men in our church and go, I think if he was given the chance. No, no. We're looking for a guy who currently is in the trenches and making a difference in some area. He's probably going to be in a life group. He's probably going to be leading a life group really well. He's probably going to have a real heart for people. Well, not probably. He is going to have a heart for people right where he is right now. I've been in churches in the past, and I've heard that logic used. Well, if we just gave him an opportunity, well, we don't ever want that person at Northwest to get their opportunity at leadership when they've been sitting on the sidelines, not involved in the ministry and irrelevant to the ministry here at Northwest. We're looking for guys that are already in the trenches. And, and here's the key. We're looking also for people, as Matt said earlier, whose lives are worthy of emulation. By the way, that doesn't mean perfection, right? I loved the day. Uh, that Jake and Luke jumped in the baptismal tank. <laughs> One of the main reasons I loved it is because it wasn't my kids, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're college kids. If they're doing it, we really have a problem, all right? I loved that because that just tells us, you know, um, first of all, I didn't really see anything wrong with it. I'm saying, hey, enjoy it. You know, it's out there. We don't want to waste water, right? We want to be earth friendly, right? Yeah. Politically correct. Yeah. Do that. Um, but I, I, I love the fact that, that – um, we're not perfect, we're not looking for perfection, but we're looking for men whose lives are worthy of emulation. That you look at their marriage and you say, I'd be okay if my marriage turned out like that. What, what are they doing? Look at their kids. Their kids aren't perfect, but it just seems like they're leading them in the right direction. You see a, a man interacting uh, in the community. Some of you have interaction with one another during uh, in, the, in the workplace. Those are the kind of people that we're looking for uh, here at Northwest. So we want you to recommend uh, those types of people to us, all right? And uh, I hope you take that responsibility seriously if you're a member uh, here at Northwest. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. So what we're going to do, we're going to take recommendations uh, through Sunday, May 1st, and then our current uh, elder team is going to contact each one of those men. Here's what's really important for you to understand. We're not going to sit back in a dark room and go, <laughs> well, that guy? If you give us a man, I can guarantee you this, we're going to go and we're going to have a personal one-on-one -on -one conversation, one of us, with that individual. No matter where we think they might be at that particular moment. 
We've got some men that I think this time probably are going to be recommended out of our body that were recommended several years ago, and they didn't feel like they met the qualifications at that point. But Matt and I have talked, and, and we believe that several of those guys now meet the qualifications, and it was because we went and talked to them at that point and said, what are the things, what are the areas in your life uh, that need to change in order that you might feel like you're qualified to serve Northwest in that area? So we're going to interview each one of those guys. We're going to give them an application that's about 25 pages long. That's probably going to scare most of them away. We'll get rid of all the riffraff at that point, right? Or the guys that just say, you know, I don't know how to spell. Well, that's not a qualification, right? Even if you don't know how to spell, you got spell check, you know, it's modern day. There's an application that they'll go through. Our full elder team will interview each one of those men and get this. Uh, here's the most important thing. Uh, one of those interviews takes place with their wife. I always love that. Because that's when we get the real truth, right? We have a view of him, and then we meet his wife, and she blows everything out of the water, and then we really get to know uh, that man. After we go through that process, when we have men that we're ready then to bring to you, we'll give you an opportunity to affirm those men. And basically, that's an opportunity to say, I don't think he's qualified for this particular reason. I think I have concerns uh, about that. And um, then in August, after that affirmation takes place, uh, we'll bring them up, we'll introduce them to you, and hopefully by the end of August, by the end of the summer, uh, they'll come on our leadership team and begin serving as elders uh, here at Northwest. So we're uh, tremendously excited about this. I know that you might look at a Sunday like this and go, wow, what was the point of all that? I hope that you go away. First of all, and I hope that you have a comfort level of our leadership structure here at Northwest to know what kind of leadership we're committed to. We're not committed to dictatorial uh, leadership. We're not committed to democracy where we just simply put up the finger and we take the will of the people. We are committed to a biblical model of church leadership, to a plurality uh, of biblically qualified leaders. We want you to be part of that process. And then as we determine who those men are, uh, we say it a lot in our uh, Northwest 101 class, in our membership class, then we expect leadership to be followed and uh, for you to hold us accountable uh, to a biblical standard of what God says uh, a leader is and what God says a leader does and how he leads uh, the flock of God. So, so I hope you'll be involved in that process with us uh, over the next uh, several weeks, and we're incredibly excited uh, to think about the possibility of even some of you that are sitting uh, right here uh, serving on our leadership team beginning in August. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this subject. God, I thank you that you recognize that we are so much like that animal that we call sheep. And I thank you that you provide for us shepherds, under shepherds, under the chief great shepherd that the flock of God might be ministered to in a good, good way, that it might be nourished and fed and challenged and encouraged to do everything that, that you intend your church uh, to do. I pray that our leadership team will be marked by that. I pray that we will be uh, servant leaders uh, to these people that you've entrusted into our care uh, here at Northwest. So God, give wisdom over these, ne these next couple weeks as we recommend men out of our body that might capably serve in that role, uh, the people uh, of Northwest. Give us wisdom, and we'll look forward to uh, great days ahead as we see some of them join our leadership team 
Spirit in this way. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please.